Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review, presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. Oregon has been abuzz this month with wolverine sightings, and the latest one was caught on camera in broad daylight. The black mustelid was seen lumbering across Highway 20 east of Santium Pass, and the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife posted the footage on their Facebook page. Staff for the agency confirmed the sighting by examining the tracks on the day the video was taken. This is exciting news because it means that there could be a second wolverine outside the Wallawa Mountains. The first sighting occurred along the Columbia River on McGuire Island, just north of Portland. This was the first time in 30 years a wolverine had been seen outside the Wallawas, which are located about 200 miles west of the city. Over the next few weeks, there were at least three other wolverine sightings in the Portland area, one in Damascus, about 12 miles south of McGuire Island, another about 10 miles farther south in Oregon City, and the next about 15 miles south of that in Colton. Now, before you start hoping that wolverines are taking over Portland, you should know a thing or two about how wolverines operate. Like mountain lions and bears, a young wolverine will disperse into new territory to start its own home ranch. Based on the timing and locations of the sightings in March, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife says that this could be the same animal. The most recent sighting near the Santium Pass, however, was a full 60 miles south of its last known location. Wolverines have been known to disperse as far as 235 miles, so it's not out of the question that a single wolverine is trucking south in search of a mate. Still, it seems unlikely that the same animal could be seen so many times in only four or five weeks. Wolverines were extirpated from the Central Cascades in the mid-20th century. The last documented wolverine in the area was killed in 1969 by a trapper near Broken Top Mountain. If these wolverines somehow survive and reproduce, Portlandians can hope to see even more furry, ferocious critters on the outskirts of the city. This week, we've got crime, the DOJ, pigs, legislation, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. My week, or the rest of it rather, was spent with an amazing pair of fishermen, the Kilkennys, who have dedicated years in the pursuit of catching giant trevally on the Big Island. 
that's, you know, Hawaii. The GT, or Alua, is an incredibly powerful fish. Once fished commercially throughout its range for meat, and it still is in some areas, the Alua is now a highly sought-after recreational trophy fish, meaning a lot are caught and then let go again. I'm interchanging GT, Giant Tavale, Alua. They're all the same fish, okay? Since I was on Hawaii, we're going to stick with Alua. How's that? Alua are versatile predators. They eat crustaceans, cephalopods, any fish that can fit in its large mouth. The fish that I caught, there was room for at least two of my fists in that dude's face, and that was roughly a 50-pounder. They'll even eat birds and flying fish above the surface. There's an absolutely fantastic YouTube video of Alua chasing and eating birds. You gotta check it out. Type in fish v birds blue planet 2 into the old uh, YouTube Google machine. Anyway, Alua are such aggressive consumers of reef fish that they are prone to the accumulation of Sequatera. If you are unfamiliar here, here's what the CDC has to say about it. Sequatera, which is C-I-G-U-A-T-E-R-A, is an illness caused by eating fish that contain toxins produced by a marine microalgae called Gambierdiscus toxicus. People who have Sequatera may experience nausea, vomiting, and neurologic symptoms such as tingling fingers or toes. They also may find that cold things feel hot and hot things feel cold. Sequatera has no cure. Symptoms usually go away in days or weeks, but can last for years. People who have Sequatera can be treated for their symptoms. Fish that are prone to Sequatera accumulation are Barracuda, Black Grouper, Blackfin Snapper, Kubera Snapper, Dog Snapper, Greater Amberjack, Hogfish, Horseye Jack, King Mackerel, and Yellowfin Grouper have all been known to carry Sequatoxins. Now, uh, I may have already explained this again, but we did take my GT or Lua home, flayed that thing out. It's got beautiful white flesh. They've been known to be pretty tough. I hear that smoking and turning them into sausage is very common on the Big Island. I'm going to fry some up tonight. I guarantee it's going to be delicious. And I am not worried about getting the effects of Ciguatera. Now, I'm sure this dude, who I know for a fact was eating those little reef fish, is probably carrying some level of ciguatoxins, which means I will then be carrying some level of ciguatoxins. However, as I understand it, this is a cumulative effect through the accumulation over time of ciguatoxins. Different levels affect different people. So am I rolling the dice a little bit? Sure, but again, not concerned. Hope that clears some things up for some folks. Anyway, grew up as a trout fisherman. I have no issue catch and release and fish. Chances are, if I ever catch big old GT, I'll let it go on the rod and reel setup. If I'm diving someday and I happen to get a really amazing opportunity at a GT of reasonable size, let's say, because my skill level as a diver does not uh, really make me confident to go thunk a giant GT, get it all wrapped up down there, maybe end up staying down there for way too long. One of those things. I will probably take another GT in my future if it's reasonable size with a spear. So there you go. Super cool fish. In most fisheries, they're doing great. And that's kind of my week. I also went to the TRCP Capital Conservation Awards dinner where they raised over a million dollars. A million dollars in one night for conservation. TRCP does an amazing job lobbying up on the hill for all of the things the hunting and angling community cares about access, waters, wildlife. Amazing org. Uh, Room was full of super fun people, super interesting folks. Pleasure to meet everybody. 
Also got to go check out the Portrait Museum and the West Wing of the White House, which was, you know, a fun experience for a Montana kid wandering around. Thank you, DC. All right, moving on to the crime desk. An Alabama man has been charged with two misdemeanors after he brandished a shotgun at anglers who were fishing from a boat in front of his dock. 66-year-old Ronald Morgan was charged with interfering with hunting or fishing along with a second charge of menacing. The confrontation occurred back in March during the Fishers of Men Bass Fishing Tournament on Miller's Ferry. One of the anglers, Chris Pope, took a video of the confrontation, during which Morgan holds a shotgun and tells Pope he needs to, quote, go somewhere else. Pope responds correctly that the lake is public property and things devolve from there. Insults were thrown and the Ten Commandments were invoked. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like. You're a damn fool. What Lord are you talking about? If you knew you anything, Lord, they you wouldn't is. try to be co- coveting somebody else's property. That's number 10, by the way. You're a pitiful excuse of a human being. Don't trust that on my property again. If Morgan gets the maximum sentence for both charges, he's looking at nine months in jail and a $3,500 fine. And uh, he'll have menacing on his record, which kind of sounds tough for a 60-plus-year-old. Speaking of fishermen and firearms, an angler in Chicago was shot multiple times in the face after being asked about his gang affiliation, which is just about the most Chicago fishing story I can imagine. Local media reports that Louis Franke III was fishing with his brothers on the north branch of the Chicago River earlier this morning. They were heading back to their car around 10.30 p.m. when they were confronted by several men who asked which gang they were in. Frankie's mother, Melissa Torres, said her son claimed not to belong to any gang, which is when the men opened fire on the car in which the boys were sitting. The brothers ran away to a nearby McDonald's where they were picked up by an ambulance. The 23-year-old angler miraculously survived multiple shots to the face, but doctors believe he may lose his eyesight in his left eye. His mother reports that Frankie was a dedicated angler who would travel across the city to different ponds and lakes to try to catch the biggest fish. As of this recording, and from what I can find, police have not confirmed Torres' account of the incident, but they did say that Frankie has no criminal record. A man in Ontario has been banned from hunting for life after conservation officers discovered 91 grouse in his home, which is 76 over the legal possession limit. Alan Pasco of Cobalt, Ontario, pled guilty to unlawfully possessing an over-limit of grouse and obstructing conservation officers. According to the province's Ministry of Natural Resources and Forestry, Pasco kept officers from entering his home for over an hour. When they finally gained entry, they found two large boxes of frozen grouse, quote, hidden in the shower. Big thanks to Dan Brault for sending that story in. Jumping over to Minnesota, 21-year-old Casey Meadows has been issued fines totaling $1,800 after conservation officers say he hit three deer with his truck on purpose. All three deer had to be put down by the retired police officer who first arrived on the scene. He told local media that bystanders were crying and upset to see the deer injured and struggling. The Ely police chief said that his department is seeking additional charges for animal cruelty and reckless driving. I desperately want to know if this 20-year-old purchased his own vehicle, or maybe it was given to him. The United States Department of Justice, the DOJ, is handling multiple charges to a Pakistani outfitter and a California hunter for attempting to smuggle an endangered sheep trophy into the U.S. According to the DOJ, 49-year-old Jason Keith Bruce of Galt, California, secured the services of a hunting guide in Pakistan named Pir Danish Ali to hunt a Ladakh Uriel. 
that's L-A-D-A-K-H, Urials are a type of sheep native to Central Asia. They're listed as vulnerable by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, and they're also included on the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's list of endangered foreign animals. According to court documents, Bruce paid Pier $50,000 to kill a Urial in Pakistan, and the two bribed officials to export the animal out of the country. Bruce carried the mount, along with seven other trophies from his hunting trip, in his baggage when he flew into San Fran International Airport. Customs officials seized the Ural in the airport, and prosecutors say Bruce lied to Fish and Wildlife Service agents about the mount. He also tried to pass off the sheep as a different species and gave Wildlife Service agents forged documents supposedly from the officials in Pakistan. The two men have been charged with conspiracy, and they face a maximum $250,000 fine. Bruce has also been charged with smuggling and violating the Endangered Species Act, and he's looking at an additional 21 years in prison and a $300,000 fine. Speaking of jail time, an Oregon man will spend 10 days in jail, forfeit his rifle, and pay $440 in fines for shooting a bull elk and leaving it to rot. 42-year-old Cody Murrell told investigators that he planned to poach a cow elk and harvest the meat, but he shot a 5x6 bull in darkness by mistake. You know, not your first mistake. He planned to come back that night to field dress the animal, but the carcass was partially scavenged and he was afraid of wolves in the area. He returned the next day to take the antlers home, because remember he was only interested in the meat, but his saw broke and he abandoned the project altogether. A licensed hunter stumbled upon the carcass and reported it. Troopers investigating the crime were able to identify Mural's truck using footage from game cameras in the area, and the tipster was rewarded with four hunter preference points. Apparently, Oregon jails are filled with poachers. Another man from the Beaver State will be spending time behind bars following a two-year investigation. Albert Lampert was convicted of 21 misdemeanors related to criminal trespass and wildlife violations. The Oregon State Police said in a press release that he was caught in a decoy operation in which troopers set up a fake elk along the side of the road as part of the state's anti-poaching campaign. That incident led to a search of Lampert's residence, He will spend 30 days in jail, and he received five years of probation where he cannot be hunting in the woods with a centerfire rifle or be with anyone who is hunting. Last one for you. Listener Dale Mankey sent me a clipping from a conservation officer's report in Waconia, Minnesota. Quote, Alexander Birdsell reports that an emergency call was responded to on state land for a person in distress. Responding officers found the person in question to simply be a metallic music enthusiast practicing lyrics in the woods. I suppose that when your mom kicks you out of the basement, the local wildlife management area is a good place as any to keep your metalhead dreams alive. Either that, or he was working on his owl hoots and not having much success. If this is you, please write in and let us know what you're singing. We'll even play a clip here on the podcast. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, and hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural 
real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. It comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Moving on to the pig desk. Feral super pigs are supposedly invading the northern U.S. from Canada. The issue gained some national attention this week when one of the feral hogs attacked a farmer in North Dakota several times before the farmer was finally able to shoot and kill it. The Nelson County Sheriff's Office warned residents to be aware of their surroundings and any threats to their safety, and they've taken in the offending porker for further examination. A professor at the University of Saskatchewan named Dr. Ryan Brook told local media that these pigs are a major problem in Canada, and he's worried they'll start migrating south. Brook called the swine, quote, the worst invasive large mammal on the planet. My southern listeners are probably wondering how these, quote, super pigs, which shouldn't be confused with Homer Simpson's spider pig, differ from the feral hogs that currently reside in at least 35 states. These pigs cover the entire southern half of the U.S., along with California, but they haven't been able to establish a foothold in the north and much of the west. Brooke explained that the pigs they see in Canada are hybrids between a European wild boar and a domestic pig. They have thick, warm fur and long legs to deal with the North's cold temps and deep snow. They tend to be larger than southern wild hogs, but they share their high reproductive output. It's worth pointing out that scientists have been sounding the alarm about this problem for several years now, but so far we haven't seen much evidence of large pig populations in the northern U.S. 
A 2020 article in the Daily Mail warned of a, quote, time bomb of feral super pigs that would destroy thousands of square miles along the U.S.-Canada border. That time bomb is still ticking, apparently, because we're still talking about the super pig invasion three years later. I'm also a little skeptical that these pigs are really all that different from the animals already in the South. The USDA says that modern feral swine are, quote, a combination of escaped domestic pigs, Eurasian wild boars, and hybrids of the two. This mirrors Brooks' description of a super pig. I think biologists were surprised that feral hogs could survive the cold Canadian winters, but that doesn't mean we're dealing with a different phenomenon. It could just mean that pigs are really, really tough, which of course we know they are. A USDA biologist told local media in North Dakota that whatever these pigs are, sport hunting is not the best way to get rid of them. For one thing, sport hunting isn't usually enough to make a sizable dent in a local pig population. For another thing, promoting hunting as a means of population control can end up being counterproductive for the simple reason that pigs are fun to hunt. As we've seen in the South, creating a market for pig hunting means that many people don't really want them gone. I've hunted my share of pigs, so I'm not making any kind of judgment call here, but unless northern states want a similar pig problem, they should avoid sport hunting. Moving on to the legislative desk. In Wisconsin, members of the state legislature's finance committee voted Tuesday to kill funding for the largest land conservation project in Wisconsin history, all 12 Republicans on the committee voted against using $4 million from the state's Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Program to help finance the purchase of 56,000 acres known as the Pelican River Forest. The remainder of the $15 million purchase price would have come from a federal grant. The Republicans worried that conserving these parcels would harm the local economy by removing the land from potential future development. If you live in Wisconsin, let your state legislators know how you feel. In Minnesota, legislators are trying to sneak through a provision that would prohibit wolf hunting in perpetuity, even if wolves are removed from the endangered species list. We covered a bill back in episode 202 that would have done this, but that bill has been stuck in committee. So legislators amended an omnibus spending bill related to the environment and natural resources to include this wolf hunting prohibition. The bill passed the House on a 69-59 vote and is now in the Senate. If you live in Minnesota and want to hunt wolves, or you just don't think that the legislature should be making decisions for the Department of Natural Resources, making laws instead of regulations, get in touch with your state senator about HF 2310. Oregonians are also dealing with potential hunting restrictions related to fur-bearing animals. HB 3464 would remove beavers from the statutory definition of predatory animals. This important change would prohibit private landowners from taking beavers without a permit and compel the Oregon Fish and Wildlife Commission to establish a permitting structure for dealing with problem beavers. Here's how Oregon trapper and podcaster listener Jonah Kubica described the problem with this bill. Quote, This bill would make management of private properties much more difficult and take up too much time biologists could be spending on more productive things. This bill passed the House on a 32-11 vote and is headed to the state Senate. Side note here, Stephen Ranella has been trapping beavers fairly hard. It's not like it's a job or anything. And uh, he made me and several others a beaver hat. And I love it. It is a prized possession. And when we get that next 50 below zero snap here in the state, I'll be rocking that thing. The, uh, the girlfriend says it kind of looks like a mullet, which I'm not afraid of either. 
In North Carolina, legislators have proposed a bill that would define trespassing as entering another person's land or waters to hunt, fish, or trap without written permission from the landowner or agent. Current law allows a hunter to enter private property if the land has not been posted with no trespassing signs or the landowner has not barred an individual from entry. This law would remove the signage requirement and force hunters to keep their written permission with them in order to produce that for law enforcement. This wide-ranging bill, called SB 686, would also prohibit targeting any species of fish that is considered, quote, overfished or experiencing overfishing. It is unclear from the bill how regulators should define overfishing. This is a big bill that includes lots of different components, but I think it's safe to say that your North Carolina legislators should be taking a hard look at these provisions. SB 686 is currently sitting in the Senate Agriculture, Energy, Environment Committee. Moving on to the Wildlife Crossing Desk. The U.S. Department of Transportation is rolling out a new grant program to help state and local governments construct wildlife crossings to mitigate traffic accidents and promote habitat connectivity. The program is being funded by a $350 million appropriation that was included in the 2021 Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. The money will be doled out over the next few years for projects that either build wildlife bridges or tunnels across roadways, or promote education and planning for those projects. Wildlife crossings have been around the U.S. since at least 1995, and there are over 1,000 of these structures today. The idea is pretty simple. Wild animals cross roads all the time. Major highways can fragment habitat, especially for migratory animals. Giving these critters a way to cross the road helps reconnect that habitat. It also helps keep people safe. The Department of Transportation estimates that there are over 1 million wildlife vehicle collisions annually, which results in tens of thousands of serious injuries and hundreds of fatalities. Research shows that these wildlife crossings can significantly benefit wildlife. A study published back in January of this year found that using wildlife over and underpasses to protect migratory corridors between national parks could help species live hundreds of generations longer. Specifically, the study analyzed current and historic migration patterns of the mammal species that move between Yellowstone and Glacier National Parks and between Mount Rainier and Northern Cascades National Parks. They concluded that reconnecting the migratory routes in both sets of parks could help these mammals live 682 generations longer. Of course, it's not quite as simple as building a few bridges. Another study from UCLA published in December of last year found that some animals respond well to wildlife underpasses, while some remain too cautious to use them. The researchers observed deer and elk in Banff National Park in Alberta. They noticed that elk and deer who responded with fear to cars driving across a four-lane highway were less likely to use the underpass. They also saw that these animals tended to be more startled when traffic flowed infrequently than when traffic flowed steadily. Still, there's no question that animals use wildlife crossings and that they benefit both animals and people. Right now, the question is whether states are ready to apply for federal funds to build them. Some, like Utah, Mexico, and Wyoming, are ready to go. Others, like Montana, have refused to offer matching funds to become eligible for federal money. If you want a portion of these tax dollars to go to your state to help protect wildlife, get on the phone with your state legislators and let them know. An example here in the state of Montana for why we should be doing this is if you ever want to hunt grizzly bears in the state of Montana like I do. Love bears, think they're awesome. There's this lingering question of connectivity between our large population areas such as Yellowstone National Park or the GYE area and the Northern Continental Divide Ecosystem or NCDE. 
One question that keeps coming up over and over again is connectivity. Why? So those populations can trade genes, which is where these models of generations come from, right? It's like, how long can a limited genetic pool produce viable offspring? Wildlife overpasses and underpasses help hunters. So let's lobby to get those things done. That's all I got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. And remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal, at TheMeatEater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. On top of that, check out www.SteelDealers.com. Find a local, knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need, and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space.